Hello and welcome to the Football Fives podcast. My name is Ryan Keeney and it is a pleasure to have you along. Uh, Full compliment this week, which is delightful. Uh, Up first, we have Football 365 Deputy Editor, Daniel Storey. Hello, Ryan. You all right? Yes, very well. Thank you, Daniel. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Tired. Really tired. I've got a question for you. Okay. How many tweets do you think you've liked? Oh, loads. I went through a period of not liking any, and now I just like everything. Yeah. Everyone at anything replies to me. Probably 3,612. 4,057. Close. Not bad, guess. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, good. Up second is Ockley Books' David Hartrick. Hello, Dave. Hello, mate. You all right? Yeah, good. Thank you. How are you? Yes, not too bad. Not too bad. Nice of Dan to show up for once. Yeah, good of him. Not doing totally this week, I imagine. Um, <laughs> higher or lower than Dan's 4,057? How many tweets have you liked? Uh, I know currently I have three. Four? Yeah. Four. Oh, is it four? Oh, so An extra lower. smutty one. Oh. I need... I need <laughs> All right, yeah. Nigel Martin. I need, to go no. in there. I need to go in and edit that a bit. I don't do liking tweets. I only I I use liking as bookmarking, really. I just I just think it's I think it's incredibly rude so just fish. to randomly like so people stuff. <laughs> rude. Yeah. So no, I mean, who do you no think bookmarks. you are, Dan? Bearded genius. Liking everyone's yeah, well, replies. Nos does a lot, but <laughs> Nos does a lot, but I like it. I like that sort of. I've noticed it. Well, well Thank done you. for trying. I, I know. I think it's basically to a reply. It's basically saying thanks. Without just writing thanks, because thanks isn't that interesting, is it? Mm. To me, you're essentially in the face, but never mind. Uh, finally, we've got the internet's Christopher Nee. All right, Chris? Hello. Higher or lower than Dave's four? Uh, lower. Correct. Zero. Zero. Retweet well it or piss really? off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wow. Zero like tweets. Weirdly, I'm the, only, I'm the only one of us that has ever created a list as well. <laughs> um, I mean, that, I don't even, what the hell was that? Why have we got a list? Ryan, are you a predator? I don't know. I've been. Oh no, sorry. I've subscribed to two lists. I don't think I've created it. No, I haven't created any. What lists have you subscribed to? Uh, BBC County Coms for cricket. Not sure why I did that. And Socrates Eleven. Do the uh, old ah, blogger uh, meetups in twenty twelve. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did that. There was forty you people. There. I was hoping you were going to say it was something to do with craft ale, and I was going to take the piss mercilessly. I, I or, or smut used to be a member of Camera, but let's move on. Excellent. Uh, I've, I'm sitting here with a very lovely beer from Magic Rock. Ah, just down the road from me, literally. Episode 126. Uh, Let's talk about World Cup finals, shall we, chaps? Yes. Yes. Good. Question number one. Which pre-colour TV World Cup... Which pre-colour TV, not pre-colour and then TV. Let me just reread that question. Which pre-colour TV (laughs) World Cup final would you most like to go back and watch in full? David Hartrick. Um... 1954, which is a World Cup that absolutely fascinates me. Um, 
the final was West Germany against the Mighty Magyars, um, the the golden team, um, who uh, had been unbeaten for an obscene amount of time going into this final. Um, and there was a whole lot of, this is like one of those World Cups that there's a whole lot of suggested skullduggery going on from doping the Hungarians to the final to the challenge on Pushkas in the Hungary 8 West Germany 3 group stage game before that left him with a hairline fracture on his foot to obviously the Germans being the host nation had a nice settled um, little uh, resort by a lake which they were quite happy with was nice and calm and serene Hungary had all sorts of travel problems getting back to their base for all sorts of reasons so it was a real uh, it's a really fascinating story and there is this big um, players have come out afterwards and said they're pretty sure there was doping or sleeping tablets or something going on with the Hungary side because they just weren't themselves in the final um, but still managed to push West, West Germany pretty much all the way the game finished 3-2 and I'd just love to see if you could see any sign of it basically but it's a World Cup that there as I say this as a publisher it's a World Cup where there's there's almost a full book in the World Cup itself and it's I won't bore everyone with the details but it's worth you reading that was the World Cup. I know we're specifically around finals, but that was where the group stage is like everybody only played twice, even though there were groups of four, right? Yes, yeah. And like Hungary scored an obscene amount of goals. I think the beat, I can't remember which career it was, so I'm going to say South Korea. I may have got that wrong. I think they beat them 9 0, and then they did Germany 8 3. Just like ridiculous. And they were the. I mean, they were absolutely the the Harlem Gold Globetrotters, you know, Pushkas, Kossitz, um, Heide Guti, various others, and yeah, it was it's it's a fascinating World Cup. It really is. First ever screwing studs. Uh, I, well, I couldn't tell you that for for definite, Chris. <laughs> That's a, a weird thing to know about the nineteen fifty four World Cup. It yeah. is helped West Germany. Yeah, you've started, Chris. So I'll let you finish. <laughs> I've started. Um, that final is is certainly on my list, along with 1930. Um, but I'm going instead for one of Italy's wins in the 1930s because I'm fascinated by the history of Italian football, um, and because those early days of the World Cup were so different to to the World Cup we know today. Um, so they're intriguing in their own right as well. So of, of the two of them, I'm going to pick the 1938 final against Hungary again in France, largely because it was 4-2 instead of 2-1. And because Silvio Piola scored twice, we've mentioned him before, uh, when we did the Italy Fives, he is uh, Italy's third highest goal scorer. Uh, And if I'm not mistaken, the top goal scorer in the Italian league. Um, So I'd I'd love to see a player of that stature um, in, in action properly, which he you know, unfortunately, you don't get to see from 1938 very often. Um, it was uh, a team coached by by Vittorio Pozzo, which should have remembered last week, uh, and, <laughs> and, and captained by uh, Miazza as well, which is an, a name that will be familiar to, to every fan of Italian football, I would hope. Um, it was apparently quite a game. It was the first time it wasn't won by the hosts. Um, and then, of course, you throw Hungary into the mix as well, who were, were uh, on their way to becoming the force that they were in 1954. So um, an early one, but one that 
I, I don't think outside of this question I'd ever get a chance to properly see. Hmm. Fair. I think I'd, I've gone for 1930, which you, you made reference to, and I, I just would would be fascinated to watch it. I'd love the, the chance to sit down and do it. I, I've been to the FIFA uh, Museum in Zurich, and they have more footage of, of those old tournaments and, and finals particularly than I think I knew existed. I think that they could probably... If if there was a project where FIFA could get somebody to sit in a room and, and try and add colour to some of the older shots, it's definitely achievable um, because it, it looks fascinating. But the, just the the way that football was back then, with uh, obviously the teams playing with different balls during each half because there was a disagreement about which ball would be used. The game, um, weirdly reading about it this week, was was played on a Wednesday afternoon at night two. Um, whereas we've come to know them on, on weekends, on, on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, and just quite a lot that went through it. It was There was a big, big rivalry around this game. Um, the, the Olympic final two years before was the exact same, and, and both teams went into it desperate to win, uh, so much so that the referee was uh, reluctant to referee the game unless he knew he would be safe leaving um, if if things went badly. Um, the con- Uruguayan consulate in Buenos Aires was stoned afterwards. It just, uh, I think everything that went with it was uh, a precursor perhaps to the, the mania that would become a football, and, uh, which is incredible that, that people bought into it so much and, and bought into the, the, the World Cup as it is. So, yeah, I think I'd, I'd would, pref- would really like to go back and watch it. Dan? Uh, in Brazil... Colour television was introduced in 1972. (laughs) In Italy, colour television was not introduced until 1977, which means that 1970 counts. It's nice that you're going on technicalities rather than the spirit of it. Yeah. Well, it was brought. You're picking the World Cup where the ball was actually changed because of colour television being available. But yeah, fire in, Dan. Mm. I've definitely seen at least part of this final in colour. Yeah. If uh, only there was some really famous footage of a goal or something. I've only seen about well, ninety minutes is, of it. So all I'm saying is, if if, no, if none of the fans of either team could watch it in colour, this counts. They <laughs> they'd like to see it again. Yeah. Uh, to me, the 1970. I am. I was born in 1985, so this is a very weird thing for me to say. Um, because modern football should, to me, should feel like after I was born. But 19, 1966 World Cup final, and I have seen that in colour as well, um, looks a hell of a long time ago. It looks old school football. It looks old, old football to me. Whereas 1970, that felt like the first kind of seismic modern football event, like the World Cup final as a, as a proper world event. Um, and that's partly because of the final it was it's partly because it was a a huge event because it was Pele's last World Cup game Um, and because of that Brazil team of of Gerson and Jairzinho and Rivellino and Tostão and Pele um, kind of although not although completely unrelated in terms of um, the etymology of those two teams it kind of felt like the forerunner for for the Dutch total football as well um, because they did play some absolutely superb football and the fullbacks were kind of attacking fullbacks and obviously Carlos Alberto did his thing. Um, I'd also like to go because it's in the Azteca, which is, you know, one of the iconic stadiums. Um, yeah, so I've gone for that one. Any comments or have we all had our digs? We've all had our digs there. Fine. He knows, we know. 
we'll all move on. Mm. Question two. Chris, tell us a story about a World Cup winner. Um, well, I think I'll, I'll pick somebody who technically won the World Cup, but isn't really counted as a World Cup winner um, in the spirit of tonight's podcast. <laughs> um, at, it, actually, that's almost true. Uh, at uh, USA 94, uh, Brazil started with a lineup that featured Romario and Bebeto, Mazzinho, Dunga, Maro Silva, uh, Branco, Marcio Santos, Aldeir, and Claudio Tafarel. Uh, not Cafu, which I'd kind of forgotten about. But wearing the number nine shirt behind Romario and Bebeto was Zinio. Um And instead of telling you a story about Zinio, I'm going to tell you a story about me. Um, he he played 57 times for Brazil, but he never played in Europe. Um, and apart from a spell in Japan and a couple of years at, at um, uh, Miami FC, it was at the time, in the mid-noughties, he played his entire club career in Brazil. Um and it's it's so Brazilian to have had two spells at Flamengo, three spells at Palmeiras. Like that is how players and managers in Brazil manage their local careers. Um, but despite that, he became uh, the Brazilian player I was most familiar with because of a computer game. That computer game was Championship Manager Two, and and when that came out. I used to go around my mate's house. Four of us would sit around his dad's PC and we would compete against one another in the Premier League. Uh, now, because Doug Ellis wouldn't spend any money uh, and I was playing against Newcastle, who did spend money, Manchester United and Spurs, I played quite often as Liverpool. And on day one, with my name as Brian Little, as manager of Liverpool, I bought Zinio and he was unstoppable and I will love him forever because of it. <laughs> he was not as good as Oscar Ferro. That's a worse technicality than my 1970 World Cup final, by the way. Uh, yeah, well, luckily I didn't give you any abuse for that, so. <laughs> uh, I am going to tell an anonymous story about a World Cup winner who won the World Cup in the 1990s. I think I can tell you that much. Um, we, I say we, the company I work for tried to get a World Cup winner for an event that we did for one of the recent World Cups um, where they would talk about data and how data was you know, brilliant and not ruining the game at all. Um, and they, this World Cup winner lives in London, but as part of their uh, fee to do said corporate event, they needed first-class travel from London to the country of their birth and back, plus a suite for three nights in London. <laughs> Can I write? They... <clears throat> this, this player, uh-huh. uh, I happened at one point in my career, to sit next to somebody who was arranging a different event at a different time with the same player, and he was a sodding nightmare. Huh. There you go. Uh, I mean, if I have conversations with any of you in person, I'm sure you would all know who they are, um, and I'll quite happily tell you. But, you know, it's not a podcast. It's probably rude. Dan? Uh, I have got a, a story about... 1954's aforementioned goal scorer Ferenc Pushkas, who, uh, as told, it's not my story; it's George Best's. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, George Best. It, it, the first line of this story, and this is from one of Best's various books slash autobiographies. Um, but the first line of it sounds like a setup to a joke, uh, which is good. It said, "I was with Bobby Charlton, Dennis Laurel, and Ferenc Pushkas." We were coaching in a football academy in Australia. The youngsters we were coaching did not respect him, including making fun of his weight and age. 
we decided to let the guys challenge the coach to hit the crossbar 10 times in a row. And they got to choose which player that they would like to do it. And obviously they chose the, the old fat one, Puskas. Um, Dennis Law asked the children how many they thought that the old fat coach would get out of 10. Most said less than five, around two or three. George Best then said 10. The old fat coach, I think we can call him Puskas by now. Um, <laughs> Puskas stepped up and hit nine in a row. For the 10th shot, he scooped the ball in the air, bounced it off both shoulders and his head, flicked it over with his heel and cannoned the ball off the crossbar on the volley. All the kids stood in silence and then one kid asked who he was. I replied, to you, his name is Mr. Puskas. Good. That's a nice story. Isn't ten, it? I mean, ten almost off the crossbar in a row. Almost certainly not true, it should be pointed out, that story. <laughs> but, but, uh, I'm taking George Best's word for it. I don't think we know anything about that man that means we should doubt him. <laughs> Fine. Dave? Uh, Jack Charlton, obviously famously won the World Cup in 1966, but also went to a World Cup in 1990 as Republic of Ireland manager. <laughs> uh, and... They said, uh, he said jokingly to, I think it was Mick Byrne, who was his assistant. Uh, he said, if they get through to the knockouts, uh, I'm going to go all the way to Rome and make sure we have an audience with the Pope. And lo and behold, they did. And lo and behold, he managed to sort it out. Now, he thought it was going to be a photo opportunity, hand a signed shirt over to the Pope. Uh, and then everybody shakes hands and we all move on. What he didn't realise is the audience room at the Vatican holds about 7,000 people. And for the audience that he he got in for, they were up on stage. But there was also 6,500 people in the room. The Pope gets up and reads a a 20-minute service in Latin. And everybody sort of, you know, oh, great, no problem. Then another bishop gets up and reads the same 20-minute service, but in Portuguese. And then another one gets up and reads the same 20-minute service in English. And eventually there was, I think there were seven different nationalities in the room. So they read it out seven different times. Jack Charlton had a few the day before, as had some of the team, I hasten to add. Bear in mind, this is a World Cup where Jack Charlton arranged for a Guinness lorry to be driven to their hotel. Uh, Fell fast asleep whilst on stage uh, during his audience with the Pope. At the very end, when the team are all getting blessed, when they turn round to do the Republic of Ireland team individually, somebody nudged Jack Charlton to wake him up. He woke him up just as the Pope was looking straight at him, thought he was waving to him, so Jack Charlton stood up of his chair, waved back to the Pope and then walked off stage, left it at that, have some of that. So, uh, yeah, completely disrespectful, and I kind of like that, to be perfectly honest with you. And arguably, I would say that will be true compared to George Best's recount of a trip to Australia with a load of his mates. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there may have been alcohol involved in both of those stories. Uh, Jack Harlan registered Niall Quinn as his third goalkeeper at the 1990 World Cup, I think. Yes, also quite famously when uh, Niall Quinn uh, turned up initially, he turned to his assistant and said in front of Niall Quinn, genuinely, we didn't have to pick that fucker in the end, did we? Literally, (laughs) as Niall Quinn was walking by. So that would have some of that for your confidence. That's the explicit tank. Uh, question three. Oh, right. This is where we talk about England. Will we ever see another World Cup final hat trick? David Hart. Uh, 
two World Wars, one World Cup, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> oh, God. We, uh, I, I personally, I don't think so. I think just because of the way football has changed and how, I mean, it's always been a high-profile game, but, uh, I mean, now, as you've seen from the last few finals, they can be cagey, they can be tight. Defensively, teams are working out plans for if they come against up against the top teams pre-tournament anyway, so it's not like they're just moving from opponent to opponent with no clue who they're going to play next. And I, it, it's a very unique achievement. I mean, like, I was thinking about this earlier. Just take World Cup finals out of it and just think about any cup finals hat tricks are incredibly rare anyway aren't they i mean you know when was that when was the last hat trick in an fa cup final sure i don't Do i don't start? know if there's been one. Oh, there's been not, one when right. sorry not recently well that's that's very different isn't it yeah uh, I, like in the last that's very different i'm about to tell you uh 1953 stan mortensen you see, they. Yeah. This is it. You know, when was the last hat trick in a League Cup final? When was the last hat trick in a Champions League UEFA Cup final? You know, I know like Pushkas and Stefano and Glasgow and all that. But, but that is the only that Stan Mortensen one. I should say that's the only one as well, not just the yeah the only the only one in a in a Wembley Cup final. I think our view of the hat trick has become slightly skewed by living in the sort of Messi and Ronaldo era. It's incredibly hard to score three goals, you know. <laughs> incredibly hard, and particularly at what is the the higher end of football, it's unless I think the only way it can probably happen is if we get a complete freak finalist in there with one of the big boys. So, say somebody has a run on the final, a la a Bradford Swansea League Cup final. You know, that's that's the only way I could see it happening. To be perfectly honest, Dan, is that Hello? your host phone? <laughs> Excellent work. Um, so I pick up here then. I, that yeah. was just someone. Um, that was just someone ringing up to say that they don't think there will definitely be a hat trick scored in the next World Cup final. <laughs> well, <laughs> thing is, Messi and Ronaldo <laughs> will that. play. Um, I'd, I'm going to lean heavily on the word "ever," but otherwise, but Dave's basically along the right lines for me. Uh, it's. Just think about what's needed from a final for a hat-trick to be involved, as well as the the rarity of them anyway. The final itself. Last time a team even scored three goals in a final was France in 1998. Before Mm. that, it was Argentina 86. And that was the last of a run of three finals in which the winning team scored specifically three goals. There were no hat-tricks there because three-goal wins rarely have a single goal scorer. So really, it takes more goals um, to to generate a hat trick generally, and in the in the case of the World Cup final, the last team to even score four in the final were Brazil in nineteen seventy. How many different goal scorers, Dan? Four, four. Um, so really, it's, it's it's no surprise at all that it's it's so rare. And and in the grand scheme of things, hat tricks are pretty rare anyway. Um, however, football does change, and uh, that has been reflected in the World Cup final over the years. And, um, 1990, the West Germany against Argentina 1-0 was the first final ever to have fewer than three goals. The first 10 finals gave us a 5-2, three 4-2s, a 3-2, a 4-1, a 3-1, and 3-2-1s. That is a lot of goals. However, it is also very, very few hat-tricks. So, my suspicion 
if the World Cup even lasts as a concept long enough, um, is that the cycle will eventually bring about a ton of goals in finals again. Um, you know, if we're talking about 50 to 100 years of, of World Cup future. And very possibly a hat-trick will be unearthed at some point. Um, hence, ever being so important in the question. However, again, there is, there's every chance the next two or three World Cup finals are as tight as a duck's ass. That's how the World Cup final is played at the minute. I am going to place a bet on there being a hat-trick in the World Cup final this year, if I can find the odds. Because I've decided that, you know the way that football is, when you talk about something not happening, sod's law means it will happen. Um, yeah, I, I'll look back through the, the history of World Cup hat-tricks, and I, I, as far as I can see and, and pick it out, other than uh, since the 1966 World Cup final, the oh, the latest in a competition a hat-trick has been scored was either the second group stage or the round of 16. There's not been anything any later. There's not been any kind of quarterfinals, semifinals, or even like a third-place playoff. There's not been anything um, in those. So I reckon we are due one. Due um, on the classic yep, that gambler's is a, line. Yep. Argentina-Portugal yep. final. Oh, yeah, 3 all done. Oh, no, that would be awful. That's the... It's, yeah, I... I I think you've, there's not much more I can add in this other than I will be placing two pounds on that bet when I find pounds. the market. Two, two, two words, Ryan. Jamie Vardy. <laughs> do, are, do, are, we, are we stumbling on the idea that we underappreciate Jeff Hurst's achievement a little bit? Yeah, I I think so. But then I would, wouldn't I? <laughs> I, think, I think I have to. I mean, I, I'm not saying I could have done it. That's I agree with you there. Uh, <laughs> I do think there's a slightly different flavour of probably not for a while. The other thing with, that is worth mentioning is the 80s and 90s felt a very good time to be a centre forward in that, A, there were some bloody good centre forwards, um, although perhaps more at club level than international level. some little goalkeepers. Some tiny goalkeepers in big nets. Um, <laughs> but... It felt like the team was there to serve as a centre-forward and a striker only. There are very few teams that do that now. Portugal are one um, for Ronaldo for obvious reasons. But the kind, it, to me now, uh, a forward line is, is made up of kind of multi-purpose forwards. Liverpool is the obvious example. I know Salah has scored goals and goals and goals. But uh, international football, when it's tighter and you don't get as many shots, that won't happen. So it feels now that you kind of have forward lines with, and that creators are are the world's best players. Um, and I wonder if that has relevance as well. Um, there's no doubt that that teams uh, defend more in finals and finals. To be honest, finals have become pretty wretched over the last uh, ten or fifteen. In years. all competitions, um, in all competitions. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah. Uh, I'd say one in one of the last eleven European Championship finals, a team has scored three goals. So, um, the only, the only, it's basically a sure thing. Yeah, well, but the only thing I would say in Ryan's weird gambling defence um, <laughs> is that over the last few tournaments and a couple of years in international football, we have seen some very odd thrashings. Um, I know it was only a friendly, but last week Argentina beat uh, Spain beat Argentina six one, which. Is, is an unheard of result. Obviously, we had the Brazil Germany seven one, which I know was only a, a quarter final, but um, 
could easily have been a final. You know, it, it was not. If the draw had been done differently, it wasn't. Un, it wouldn't be unheard of that those two would reach the final, and they are the fav- two favourites to reach the final this time. Uh, and obviously, Netherlands beat Spain five one in two thousand and fourteen as well. So we have seen some kind of intra big country thrashings of late, which is quite unusual. Whether you get one of those in a final is, I suppose, a different question. But that is something to to hold on to. I think. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Dan, question Talk four. Into it. Talk myself into it, Ryan. I'm with you. Yeah, good. Question four. Good. Who's going to be in the World Cup final this year? Well, I've done my uh, this afternoon slash this evening. I did my uh, my World Cup predictor. Uh, I can recommend the Daily Telegraph. Yeah, that's a very, the ex- very simple one. exact yeah. one I yeah. used. Yeah, good. It is especially if all I'm having to do is just click about twenty buttons. Done, uh, and I I got. And no real surprises here, I'm afraid. But I had France beating Brazil, which I suppose is a slight shock, and Germany beating Spain in the semis for a for a France Germany final won by Germany. Um, really? Yeah, oh, that's good. Same two. Uh, I thought I'd do a little bit of extra research. That um, that particular final would be fourteen to one for Germany to play France, which seems quite that seems quite good odds to me. Mm. So, anyone else got anything different? Uh, yes. I'll, I will get the odds for you. Yes. Taking over from Ryan there. Sorry, mate. No, no. Well, I did on, I did the Telegraph as well. Before we get mm. to the semis, I reckon you had the same lineup of quarterfinals as me, Dan. <laughs> yeah, almost And this, certainly, this yeah. would be... If this is the quarterfinals, this would be lovely, lads, right? Uruguay versus France. Spain yeah, versus same. Argentina. Same. Brazil versus Belgium, which would be a lovely little watch. Yeah. And Germany versus England. Oh, yeah. And then semi-finals, France v Brazil, Spain v Germany, the way I've got the draw worked out. And I've actually got the final as Brazil versus Spain. Wow, wow. Brazil versus Spain. Yeah, I just, think, Spain. I just think... 20 to 1, though. I just think France are... I think France could put out two teams to win this World Cup, but they're hamstrung by their manager. And I, I, if they do come to play Brazil, I think Brazil have got such a massive shout in this World Cup because they found a way to play that isn't wholly reliant on Neymar. They are really tight defensively and they're managed really, really well. And I look at some of the other sides and, you know, you look at Belgium with Martinez and you just think, well, the minute they play a good side, they're losing, aren't they? That's um, a big shout for you not to pick Germany in a... I I, I think if that it, listen, it's the way I've done the the predictor, and if it's a Spain v Germany semi final, I just I just think with Spain, I think they are so. I think they're the only team that can beat Germany. Put it this way: if it was a Germany Brazil final, then I think you've got to back Germany all the way. But I think Spain mm. are are the only team that can set up to not be comfortable against Germany, but basically take away about two-thirds of their attacking threat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if that was the case, if it was France v Brazil in one semi and Spain v Germany in the other, I think we'd take that, wouldn't we? Yeah, lovely. That means it's not going to be, but yeah. I, my final ended up Brazil-Germany, using the, the Telegraph predictor. Which is the which is the favourite. You can get 12-1 to 1 on it, but that's the favourite. If we all got the uh, same semi-finals? Uh, I've got Argentina, Germany. Oh, so you got Argentina beating Spain? Yes. Yeah. 
I mean, they they dicked him yeah. one six last week, but that's not worth yep. that. Um, I, I mean, I can't on the pitch, that. pal. Yeah. Also, not much point me taking the piss out of your prediction. It is just a prediction. You are allowed to do it. <laughs> Fine. Good on you, mate. Uh, give me some uh, interesting shit. Brazil, France, twenty-five to one. I thought that was a nice price as well. There's an extra little thing for you. I think the difficulty with that is that if Brazil and France win their groups, they yeah. end up meeting in the semis. Mm. So that right. I think that's why. Okay. It's, uh... Bel- Belgium, Germany at twenty-twos is not so good value for me. No quarterfinal. I don't think flags are too similar. They won't let it happen. I would. I tell you what, though, I would absolutely bloody love that Brazil versus Belgium game. I think that would be yeah. such a good well, you game. You might get your wish, mate. It's such a good game to watch that. That so that all that relies so that basically relies on Belgium beating England to first place in the group, doesn't it? Yeah, because I think that I think that third game, if everything goes to plan, that third game should and and almost definitely will be having watched Panama be a dead rubber, and in a dead rubber, England won't lift a leg, and you know Belgium's second team will be our second team, no problem. So they will top the group. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I. Personally, think that Southgate might. Oh, I think England might go out in the last sixteen. Sorry, um, well, it, to Colombia. You see, Columbia, I've got them but... playing Colombia, and I think we'll beat Colombia. Yeah, I've I've got us winning the group and beating Poland. Which, to be honest, we get to the quarterfinals, I'll be very happy with that. Yeah, I'd take. Oh that. yeah, yeah. I'd snap your hand Absolutely. off at that. Actually, and Jamie Vardy. Oh, bloody hell! I love the World Cup. I mean, I, this get me giddy. But I had England second in the group, but playing Poland because I quite yeah. I think Poland Poland play Colombia in the second group game in H. Uh, I just quite fancy Poland to do Colombia. Never. I must admit, mm. while I was doing it, you, you, like for all the sort of criticism, there's some tasty games in the group stages. Ah, you know, it's lovely. Always oh, yeah. the same though. Always the same that people lovely. go, oh crap, draw, and then you go. Oh God! Every game's gonna be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. it was. Just, it's the same every four years. You kind of, I sit there, I look through the fixtures, and then I come to the resolution. I'm going to watch everything. Yeah. yeah, it should be said in terms. I know we're going miles off topic, but in terms of those groups, Group H is the is the one where you you couldn't pick a winner. No. You know, I know you say you've got you've got Poland finishing top, but Japan and Senegal are kind of basically complete dark horses in that no one really knows what to expect from either of them and then Colombia were absolutely brilliant in 2014 and yet again no one knows what to expect mm. from them I'm, I can't wait this this Japanese generation for what I've been reading about them I don't hold out much hope but mm. I would I'd quite like a really strong Japan showing if I'm honest I like their their shirt is outstanding and that's, it is and that's, that's the real quiz, isn't it? It is a travesty that the USA and their new shirt aren't oh, going to the yeah. World Cup. It, like, what were they thinking? Just sit on that design for four years, lads. Although, I'd rather we England have got Panama in their group than the USA, let's be clear, which is what's happened. Sure. See, what we've done there is we've asked one question and then we've just sacked that question off to just talk about the World Cup, haven't we? Yeah, because we love the World Cup. Yeah. So, did we have anybody consistently in all of our World Cup finals? Generally, because uh, I was Brazil, no. Spain, so I was the reverse of Chris and Dan. And I had Brazil, and France, Germany. Yeah, France, Germany. I had Brazil, Germany. Fine. So not no consensus on who's going to be there, which is perfect. Germany All we know is that somebody, though. somebody's going to score a hat trick. That we know for sure. Jamie Vardy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, question five is a doozy. Uh, your favourite World Cup final goal, Christopher Nee. 
well, I will allow Dan to illuminate specifically why it's interesting that I've picked a penalty as my best, uh, uh, my my favourite World Cup final goal. But I have, um, I've picked Zinedine Zidane's penalty for France against Italy in the two thousand and six uh, World Cup final. It felt like a final that was uh, uh, full of intensity. It had so much on it, and it felt as if. By the time they arrived in that game, France were flying. Uh, Italy were trying to wrestle their destiny away from Calciopoli. Um, and the, I, I watched this game in Spain on TV, uh, and even I was on edge. It was you, the, the tension was thick. You could, you, it just felt huge this final. Um, and that sense is why the goal that Zidane scored was so incredible. Because it, it, it seems weird to be picking a penalty here, but it really does deserve it. It came so early in the game. The, the foul um, by Matarazzi was in the sixth minute. Zidane lined up the penalty, and what followed was, I think, the greatest show of steel and arrogance the World Cup final has ever seen. Six minutes in, he looked at the best goalkeeper in the world, about 14 yards in front of him, two steps up to the ball, chipped it in off the bar. And it was just sensational. With with one kick, he scored his third final goal, put his team in front of the World Cup final, redefined the Panenka, and beat the best goalkeeper in the world. And not just beat him, but psychologically bullied him by doing that. Yeah, and it was just like... The way that penalty went in, there aren't many players in the world that you would credit with doing it entirely deliberately. It's just a bit too high for most players. That comes off the bar. There's a bit of luck there. I fully believe he intended to knock that in off the bar. He's just... he's Well, and he had that swagger that... The thing is, he had the swagger that meant he could do anything with it. Obviously, he could do anything with the ball, which is so brilliant. But mm. the fact that he could do anything with a penalty, the fact that even the best penalty takers generally have about... 10% of the goal that they're aiming in with a penalty at any one time. Like they either go bottom left, bottom right, top left, top right. To do, he could put a penalty anywhere and still mess with the best goal could work. It's so, yeah. so good. Yeah, Zidane, and, and some other stuff happened in that final. But yeah, a little bit. Zidane for me is a good sort of litmus test as to whether you love football or not. Because it like if, if you watch someone like Xavi and you go, oh, he's just a brilliant player when a lot of his game was just sort of metronomically passing the ball over 10 yards sideways, getting it back, playing it to another player 10 yards. When you look at someone like Zidane, who would often drift in and out of games and would often have spells of four or five games where he did precisely nothing, he was a passenger, but he was just the filthiest footballer, wasn't he? Just when he turned up, the things he could do with a football. There's that very famous moment of control where he's just in midair and he just pulls it down from absolutely nowhere whilst turning and beats the man at the same time. And you just think, yeah, that's what I love about football, really. Yeah, you're quite good, mate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably there were pals as well. Mm. Must have been. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Hmm. Um... Both smokers as well, weren't they? So they probably had a... <laughs> Yeah, they probably fat. had to stand outside Juventus' training camp together. Yeah, just fagging it together. <laughs> Lovely scenes. Yeah, and penalties weren't invented in Italy until 2005 as well, so that <laughs> was probably the first I'd ever seen. Uh, Dan? Uh, I have gone for uh, my third choice, 
Um, the and you'll you'll hear the other two, so that's still nice. Um, I've gone for the most recent goal after a long process of elimination. There have been not that very many brilliant World Cup final goals, but um, Mario Goetz's really was. Uh, it, it came out of absolutely nothing, and I think in my brain, and I don't know why my brain's done this. Basically, I, I, I make Andre Iniesta's goal and Mario Goetz's goal exactly the same because they were kind of both did the same thing at the same moment of the World Cup final to make the score the same. Um, but Goetz's is miles better in my mind. He basically takes a cry. He, well, he's brought on after 88 minutes and uh, extra time is doing what extra time always seems to do, which is peter out. Um, and then seven minutes remaining and Schirler crosses the ball. But he crosses the ball really bloody hard. He doesn't float it in. He absolutely smashes it into the box. Um, with his side foot, it's far more power than you'd expect. And Goethe kind of just manages to take it on his chest in stride, which is outrageous to not send the ball just straight out for a goal kick, which is what you were expecting. Uh, and he does it. He sends it off his chest at an angle that he probably doesn't isn't intending to knock it forward for a sort of stretched volley, but it goes slightly beyond where he'd hoped. And he does that stretch volley with his left foot. And it's an absolutely brilliant finish. Um, underrated goal because I, I remembered it, but I didn't remember quite how good it was until watching it over and over again. Um, this but There's a quite a nice backstory, which is when he was coming on, apparently he was incredibly nervous. Um, and Jochen... Yogi Love, Jochen Lowe, uh, sort of got him on the touchline and just sort of whispered in his ear that I, I believe you're better than Messi. And he goes and does that. Have that. That's my management. He wouldn't get that with Pards. <laughs> That's an honorary mention for Pards. You're on a World Cup final podcast, by the way. Yeah, good of you. He needs it after <laughs> the, uh, the, the few weeks he's had. Um, I will jump in here. For uh, and go third, and I have chosen Ronaldo's second goal in the 2002 World Cup final. Um, at the time, I don't think we knew fully what had gone on before the 1998 World Cup final um, with Ronaldo. And even now, it, it, there's some stories, and it, it's kind of it's Peter, and there is some truth. But he he wasn't particularly well, or and he had the chance of redemption uh, at, at the first World Cup to follow it. Uh, and took it. He was go- he went into the final as the top scorer and and guaranteed the the golden boot and whatever and and having led Brazil there. But then to score uh, both goals and and the second was a pretty tidy finish. It's not the most spectacular goals, but uh, assisted to him by Manchester United legend Cleverson, uh, who charged forward from midfield, passed the ball towards Rivaldo, who performed a lovely dummy, um, yeah. opened up space for Ronaldo, and you don't give Ronaldo that kind of room on the edge of the penalty area. Uh, and it was just, it was such a, a fitting moment. It was um, a, a really perfect redemption story. And the kind of thing that sport doesn't give players all that much because sport is brilliant like that and, and doesn't mean that because you necessarily deserve to win, you will. Uh, but Ronaldo yeah. very much deserved it, as did his, his teammates. But that was, that whole World Cup and, and particularly that final was all about Ronaldo and, and about that, that finish, which was just so... Ronaldo, it was it was brilliant. Excellent. I've actually Thanks. got. Go I've actually got. Uh, I've got two answers to this. I've got one that I think is the right one to say, and one that is subjectively my favourite. And that 
Pele in 1958, 17 years old, chesting the ball in mid-air on the half turn, just inside the Sweden penalty area, then lollipopping it straight over a defender's head and volleying it in, I think is the best goal that's been scored in a World Cup final. Funnily enough, going back to what we were talking about earlier, if that goal had been in colour, I think it would be referenced far more than it actually is. But the fact that it's in black and white with slightly grainy footage, I think is what counts against it. But it is, it's just an incredible piece of technique, really. And it's the first two touches. It's the, it's the mid-air chest control into the turn. And then the touch over the defender is just sensational. The volley for the finish, the only thing that ruins it aesthetically is he doesn't just absolutely roof it. You know, he goes. It's all. It, it's slightly the ball. He actually does well, doesn't he, Dave? Because the mm. ball's actually. He gets it. It gets it kind of. He almost runs too quickly onto it, and the ball kind of goes almost under his feet, doesn't yeah. it? As he's volleying it, so he just kind of has to stab it at it a bit, doesn't he? Yeah, but it's. Oh, it's amazing. I, I think it is that. That is objectively, I think, the best goal in a World Cup final. But if we're talking about my favourite, it would be Burachaga's third in the eighty-six at Mexico 80, 86, The against the Germans with five minutes to go. And it would just be for the fact that Maradona was kicked out of that final. I mean, he was he was man-marked by two players most of the time. And the one moment in the final, he slips his marker, gets some space to run into, he makes a difference and manages to play an absolutely superb ball across. And it's, it's just, it's sort of the crowning glory because everybody... Everybody remembers the goal against England. Everybody remembers the goal against Belgium. Everybody remembers the Terry Butcher own goal against England. Uh, but that, for me, in the final was... I love it when big players do big things in really big games, you know, when they really turn up. Zidane's volley in the Champions League final, etc. And that was one of those moments where he, he'd literally had 30 seconds in the game to make a difference his very first chance to do it and he did it and yeah it was a, it it was a good goal but not like not a technically brilliant goal like the Pele one was that's a Fair. wrap is it yeah i think that's pretty well covered that's a wrap done any what other have we, what have we learnt ryan uh, we've learned that there's almost certainly going to be a hat-trick in the World Cup final, that Brazil and or France will be one of those finalists, and that we're all really bloody excited about talking mm-hmm. about permutations, which you know is half the fun, I'd say. I booked my holiday to come back from uh, on June the 3rd because I thought that gives me sort of six or seven days and I can get through that excitement. And I've, then I realised it doesn't start till June the 14th. Yeah. So what, 11 days, which is definitely too many. Too much Torturous. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. There'll be some Europa League qualifiers on, I'm sure. but Yeah, but I mean, it, the, part of the problem is the way the Premier League season's going, it's just a procession. So you just want to get this bullshit season out the way and get the World Cup yeah. here. Just, it's t- just, just get, I think, give yourself a breather <laughs> for now. You know, the next right, couple of weeks. Just now, now do your do your post season lull now, so that you can have like the FA Cup final, Champions League final, build into it nicely, and then you've got all the international friendlies. Remember all the warm up games. You've got all of that to uh, oh, scrutinise all, all the squads, all the teams. When are uh, when are England's warm up games? Do we know yet? 
Uh, the last game over here is Costa Rica <laughs> at Ellen Road, isn't it? We must have a game against the Platinum got... All Stars or similar lined up. So, yeah. you know, got there's only two in at the moment. Nigeria, Nigeria, yeah. Nigeria before, and we'll be playing a club side, to what... though, won't we? Somewhere along the line, <laughs> even if it's behind closed doors. Hong Kong eleven. Yeah, it, that <laughs> sort of caliber, like you know, Black Stars, Hong Kong eleven. The key to World Cup preparation is to play another national team from nearby to Europe. Yeah, that was an excellent thread. Yeah. Well done, Zonal Market. Right, 48 minutes. Lovely. You can have have a bit of time back on your commute, dear listener. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at FTBL5spod. You can email show at football5podcast.com. You can search for us on Facebook uh, and you can pop onto the website as well and find some of your favourite back episodes we've put together, some collections, I believe. Uh, Chris, what's this I hear about Sphinx football? Uh, There is now a Sphinx football, um, which is a little group of football podcasts, which include this one. Um, Although nothing will be changing here, we'll keep our website, keep our socials and all that stuff. Um, we went into the public domain over the weekend with the Styles Council, which is mine and Dave's England national football team podcast. Did we? Um, and yes. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Expect me to tweet that at some point in the next couple of hours. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind. Um, and uh, in the not too distant future, myself and Stevie Green will be reuniting on Yay. the Kit Club podcast, which will be a short form uh, thing that will fit into shorter commutes. Lovely. That's about kits, that one. Dan on Totally Football Show soon? Uh, he was on on Monday, mate. Keep up. Was on yesterday and I'm on know. Monday the 16th and Monday the 23rd. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.